Hi, everybody. It's Mark Summers. And today on Mark Summers Unwraps, D. Bradley Baker. Thank you for being on Mark Summers Unwraps. He has done unbelievable amounts of video games, cartoons, Star Wars cartoons, SpongeBob, you name it, you've heard him. Um, I'm Bubble Bass. I'm Kevin. I'm Squillium, although they don't use him anymore. He's fantastic. We're going to find out how he got there and uh, a little bit about how those voices happen. You can you can do that as as an as in speaking voices and start I don't think we should go down like like make all the way down. Stay tuned. Coming up, Deep Bradley Baker on Mark Summers unwraps. You know, um show business is interesting. Most people want to do it because they want to be recognized. Um, I started off doing warm-ups on TV shows, uh, Soap, Star Search, Alice, What's Happening Now. And um, it was a great way to make a living, and I was actually making a, a fair amount of dough. But uh, walking down the street, nobody would have a clue as to um, who I was. And I missed that. Um, I had that gene that wanted to be recognized. So when you think about voiceover people, um, I grew up with all the Warner Brothers cartoon characters. and Mel Blanc did them all, but he was on the Jack Benny show playing a bunch of characters. There was a classic Jack Benny bit where, what's your name? Cy, uh, Cy C, uh, what do you do? So, so C. And it, you saw him, but you didn't really see him because he wore this big Mexican hat. Um, June Foray did uh, a lot of voices on, uh, well, Rocky. He, she was Rocky on uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, Dawes Butler uh, did Huckleberry Hound and things like that. They had sort of an interesting life because they could walk down the street. Nobody would know who they were, but everybody knew their voices. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mark Summers Unwraps. I have an old friend, a talented friend, Dee Bradley Baker, who does more voices and has the career that many of us have tried to get into, but you're in a very select club. Uh, I've done a few things. Uh, thank God for Robot Chicken, where I get mm, checks on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah. I always play Mark Summers, okay? You play... A hundred different people. And I want to talk about that, but I want to go back. I didn't know that you were from Indiana originally. Uh, yeah. I, I'm from Indianapolis. You're from Bloomington. Yeah. How long were you there? Uh, I was only there a couple of years. My parents were teachers there. My dad, uh, Buddy Baker, started the jazz program at IU in Bloomington. And my mom was uh, an elementary teacher. And um, we had to move to Colorado when I was about two because of her asthma. And the asthma uh, hospital at the at the Jewish hospital in uh, Denver, Colorado, that's where they they ship. It was it was it was, it was very touch and go there with my mom. Uh, we, they shipped her there or uh, flew her over there, and so we started an existence there in Colorado. And so I grew up in Colorado uh, since I was about two. Um, and we would you know we we got a lot of relatives still in Indiana, but uh, who I actually saw recently at a convention uh, about a half a year ago. So your your dad started the jazz program at IU? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, like in the early 60s, late 50s, where jazz, it still wasn't reputable. Right. It wasn't viewed as something that you have in a proper music department, where you should be doing opera and you should be doing classical music. And jazz is, is still... It's still got that honky tonk stink to it, you know. <laughs> that the, I'm not sure if we want that in, in the halls of our academia. <laughs> but but IU had this notable jazz, uh, you know, major. Uh, my brother went there. 
mm-hmm. and ended up playing for a, a bunch of people. Michael Brecker, the sax player, the guys who did the the Little Mermaid and everything yeah, else since that, then. Those are those are IU grads. It's a great yeah, music school. Yeah, <laughs> very reputable place. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know your dad started that. So yeah. when he moved to Colorado, what did he do? He didn't know what he was going to do. We started in Denver and just, it's like, we're going to camp out while mom's sick. And uh, he finally had a connection up at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. And um, they said, uh, yeah, come interview. And, and, and they said, okay, yeah, you can come up. And he started the jazz program there, mm. which is, it's also got an excellent music program there and had a, had a, a top drawer jazz program. And so I, I've always had uh, good music in my ear. And also my dad is kind of a showman and a show off uh, who also is an improviser. Um, and so th- there, there are some of those aspects, I think, of what he did to, to be a creative professional that I think filtered into what I ended up doing, although it was all very background. I didn't, it was not something I said, oh, I want to do that or I, I want. But you've been doing it. 25 or 30 years at least now, correct? Yeah, I've been out here in Los Angeles uh, at least 30. Yeah, it's right at 30, actually. So the last time I saw you was at the Knicks Studios. We were doing Double Dare, and you were doing Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yes, yes. Legends of the Hidden Temple, yeah. And and um, there's always this competition of what's your favorite Nickelodeon game show? And it's always between Legends and Ooh. Double Dare. Yeah. There are those Legends fans who go absolutely nuts. Oh, yeah. And there are those Double Dare fans. But you were Olmec, amongst yeah. other things. Yeah. And, and how did you get that job? You were a kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was a, I was a kid in my late 20s. And I was out in Orlando and my, and my wife-to-be, I think. We were not yet married. Um, she was there as well. And I would just audition for whatever seemed like fun. Why were you in Orlando? Um, well, uh, when I was uh, in, I started out in Colorado um, um, and I was hanging around in Denver doing a, a musical show and doing stand up. And um, they just had a national audition for shows at uh, the Wonders of Life Pavilion that they were opening up at Epcot Center. And they just needed comedians and, and improvisers to do their sketch improv show. Silly little show, but, but fun. And for me, it's like, I have, I, 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 I had no goals. I had no vision really for where I want to go or what I want to do. It's like, that sounds like fun work at Disney world doing sketches. I'll audition for that. And I did, and I got in. And so I was doing those shows. I opened up the walk around Beetlejuice at universal. I was taking, uh, uh, singing lessons from a really good music teacher, uh, singing teacher there. Manny Lujan, who's no longer with us. And um, I'm starting to get into doing like uh, non-union uh, voiceovers. Um, and Because um, at the time, everybody said Orlando's going to be uh, Hollywood East. Yeah. And there were a boatload of people that went down there. Yeah. So how did you get the Olmec job? Well, um, as you said, like Disney and Nickelodeon, they were trying to make it into a production studio. Yes. Uh, to make shows uh, on the cheap, but, you know, to, to try to make that work as a as a Hollywood East, as they tried to call it sometimes. Um, and uh, and that one, that one show that they were pitching because they were doing they were producing a lot of shows. Uh, Nickelodeon was 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 this new show that required. Uh, someone to do a big booming voice, but also to do a variety of voices as they tell these weekly legends. And um, my career was one of where I, I was kind of a, I was an actor, but not a trained actor. I was an entertainer. 
I liked uh, improv. I was I was doing improv with uh, SAC Theater down there, which is theater sports with Wayne Brady and Jonathan Mangum and a bunch of other really brilliant uh, improvisers who were confident and smart and and well trained and had good instincts. And to be around those people, along with uh, and doing shows with them, in addition to doing these daily shows in front of an audience, got my confidence up. And, um, and a lot of what I liked to do was to, uh, to do different characters. That's, that was kind of my thing to do, to do wacky stuff, to do weird stuff, sort of along the lines of Steve Martin or the people I thought were cool, like Steve Martin, Robin Williams, Andy Kaufman, that, that kind of not, not old school stand up, not quite really an actor, but performing and or maybe being paid to be an actor. So you um, didn't grow up saying Mel Blanc is my idol or Dawes Butler. No. Y- y- did you even know who those people were at the time? I, I knew who Mel Blanc was, but I, I, I really, I, I really had no goals or really clear uh, really? aspirations for what I was going to do. It started to, be, to become clear to me that I've got characters in me, and that I like voiceovers and vo- and and characters and voiceovers that I do. There's like a place for that in voice acting. Um, but did I think, okay, well, then I'm going to go to Los Angeles and become, you know, the next. It's like I never, ever thought that, let alone, you know, oh, I do monsters and creatures and weird stuff. Yeah, you do. And it's like that's something I discovered and realized later once I got out here. Uh, although I, I was doing weird stuff on stage, um, I, I never, ever thought that this is the thing that I'm going to do. Nor did I really think I, I really didn't know if it was going to be a career. Yeah. I, it's just like, this is the next fun thing for me to do. <laughs> and then I, 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 I did the Nickelodeon show and Kirk Fogg, the host said, come check out LA. And I said, I really don't think I want to go to Hollywood. I saw a PBS documentary in high school and it just looked horrible. The air looked horrible. It looked like a miserable place to be. I really don't. And he said, really just come check it out. So I checked it out and I really didn't understand what I was doing. <laughs> I had a terrible demo, a voiceover demo. And uh, I, I found an agent at, at, a, at an agency that w- that said, sure, I'll sign you, kid, which for me was enough. Yeah. And, and I just, I went back and, and my wife is also an actor. And we both just said, you know, life is, is, is going great. It's very stable, but this is as good as it's going to get. So and there, at this early stage in our life, when we're when we were just married, uh, we don't really have any anchors yet. So let's go try that. So wow, just, that's interesting. We dropped it and just wh- and just with two thousand bucks and a Tercel loaded <laughs> up with everything that we owned, we drove out to to Hollywood. How long were you in Orlando? Four and a half years. So let's step back. How did you come up with the Olmec voice? I was having this opera training, so I have I have a big ah. I've got a, I've got kind of a stretch baritone range is what they call it. So I just kind of locked into a big formal, um, booming voice, but it's one that has to move because you got to get through that legend. And then you got to jump back and forth between all these little voices in the legend. And, uh, that's all I'm doing is jumping back and forth between characters and all as I'm doing shows for Disney, as I'm doing uh, Beetlejuice at Universal, as I'm doing improv at, at SAC theater. There's a great variety of things that are just coming my way, and I just pick it up and take it. And so, but not you're giving yourself not enough credit. It, it ain't that easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it 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 it's what's fun to me. It's it's what works and what I like to do. But because you're right, I mean, some people 
they're they're brilliant at what they do as yeah. a performer right. or as an actor. But but some you know, uh, I, I, not to be mean, but like you know, like a Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. his range is is just a sliver. Right. But within that range, if properly cast with a good script. He can do an astoundingly good job. Right. He can do a really great job. And there are a lot of actors like that. Right. There are a lot of voice actors like that who are essentially brought in and they just kind of do that thing, mm-hmm. like a Ron Perlman or something like that. And then others like me, where I'm more like a session player. Yeah. Where I'm, I'm it, it, it's, it's an invisible career for the most part. Yeah. You walk down the street, nobody knows who you are. No, they don't. And that's fine. Yeah. I don't. I don't mind that. I. I never aspired to be rich. I never aspired to be famous. I like connecting with an audience. I like uh, collaborative creation. That's what I really like. And that's really all I care about. <laughs> I don't want my. The the weird thing about my job to me is this: is that my job is done well if nobody thinks about me, hmm. if I'm invisible. If I'm an invisible part of making this story live. But you're hardly invisible in that you've done, I mean, Star Wars alone, but so many things that you've done, you're the main character, you're that main voice. Now, people don't know who you are from real life facially. Yeah. But those characters are stars on those shows that you do. Well, that's what I want. I want the character to live. I want the character to connect. But I don't want them thinking about me as a person. These things where it's like, well, we're, we've got this new movie coming out with this famous person voicing this and this famous person. It's like, I don't want to watch a movie and think about the famous person or the actor at all. I want to think about the story. I want to think about the character, the comedy, the, the heartbreak. That's what matters. It's the, it's the theater of the story that matters, not, not, not who's doing it. Which is more difficult, um, coming up with a, a new voice, a new character, or going in and doing, uh, you did Daffy Duck. Okay, now Daffy Duck has been around for a hundred years. Uh, was that was that easy? Was that hard? Uh, Daffy Duck is it's it's more difficult to uh, to to not to to generate a beloved iconic character that's also a corporate uh, uh, icon. icon. Yeah, um, because there's a lot of expectation and there's a lot of competition. There's territoriality. There's a Meaning lot. Meaning what? Well, uh, certain iconic characters, uh, they may change hands, but whoever is holding that character at the moment can be very territorial about that character, even though they don't own it, but they, they can, it's like, it's like, um, uh, like Anthony Daniels with, with C-3PO. They've got to be careful about recasting 3PO in a game or on the television show, or anything. Because? Because he has power and say uh, over that character. Is it, why is he not doing it anymore? Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure. Really? <laughs> but he has the clout to still say... He may. He, he may. I'm using that kind of as an example that may... It may not be as relevant now, but there, but there, are, but there are characters like Disney classic characters, right. or Warner Brothers classic characters where... Uh, I, I, and I, I won't name, name names, but, but there, there are stories of like harassment and, and seriously, and people getting very bent out of shape that the new person was taking the job that I've been, the character that I've been bringing to life. And so. Well, back in the day when Mel Blank, Mel Blank did everything when he, yeah. he was Warner Brothers. Yeah. And so uh, he had the car accident and, you know, I don't think anybody planned for him passing away. 
And so it was a free-for-all when he died because here's all these voices. And initially, many of them didn't sound like the character that we knew. Okay, now I guess Bugs can sound differently or uh, Porky can sound differently. But in my mind, growing up with it, I hear Mel Blanc. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's something distinctively different. Although when I listened to your Daffy Duck, your Daffy Duck was right on the money. It was, oh, it was Mel come come back, you know? Well, I felt very proud of that. And, and part of that was it wasn't pitched. Whereas Mel Blanc's Daffy Duck was pitched up. Mine was not. Really? Mine, mine was, was as performed. So I felt, I felt very good about that. Although I'd love to go back right now and do it again. I think I could do better. Really? Um, when you say it's pitched up, explain what that means. Uh, they, they speed up the performance to, to uh, up the pitch. Right. So it's, so it's not like this. It's like this. It's, it's, it, it takes it up a notch right. in terms of the, 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 the tone of the pitch. Uh, so getting back to your question, uh, there's a lot more at play when you're going to bring Daffy Duck back to life because you're not just, you're not just saying, that's despicable. You are, you're riffing and you're talking and you're improvising. Most of the jokes in Space Jam, Ivan Reitman had us improvise. Really? They were not in the script. They weren't in the script? No, they were not. Were you around a table with everybody else? No, we were standing in a studio. You uh, were. Uh, and standing and on a soundstage, and we were, we were, we were pitching, pitching ideas and things to say. Daffy and Bugs are doing this. They're going through Michael Jordan's clothes. Uh, he, they're looking for things. What, what's happening? Wow. Uh, which, you, which you learn to do as a comedian or an improv or in live performing. But I don't think all voiceover folks have that ability. Not all do. I mean, some some are not improvisers. Right. I mean, so they, like, if they have the script there and they're asked to go off script, they're kind of screwed. Well, yes. And I mean, sometimes there, there's uh, often, usually with an animated script, you you have some leeway to to throw out ideas, to craft it and make it better. That's, I look at it as my job to do so, that I, I want to make this as good as it can be. And often, there's some rewriting, light, diplomatic rewriting. Um, <laughs> in some shows, um, some shows, there is no rewriting. It's as written, and it's, and it's as the writer heard it, and will now tell you what that exact delivery is going to be. Some shows are very loose, and they just have the basic idea but let's let's come up with 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 four or five different crazy angles on that, and we'll choose the one later. It's and different I, because I'm a novice in this. Uh, I've had a couple of experiences where, when I did Loud Family, the person who was producing me, with all due respect, that really was unfamiliar. I was playing Mark Summers doing Double Dare, but they had never apparently watched the show. Yeah. So the things they were telling me to do were wrong. Yeah. And so you have to play that game of, do I do it? the way they asked me to do it, knowing that that's not the way it should be done. And so I played the game. I said, you know, can I just try something here? And luckily, you know, they sort of split the difference. It wasn't the way I would have done it, but nonetheless. When I did the Cleveland show, it was an episode where uh, Cleveland and his father had this uh, bad relationship, and it went back to when they played Family Double Dare, and he didn't find the flag. And my last line was, get the flag, get, get the flag. And then they had me say, get the effing flag, okay? So obviously it was going to be bleeped. When I said, give me the flag, give me the effing flag, they said, could you do it one more time? Well, about the 18th take, I said to them, could somebody give me some direction? Apparently I'm not doing something right. And he said to me, 
Oh, you got it on the second take. It's just hysterical to hear you say that over and over <laughs> and over again, which made me laugh. That's funny. Which was fun. Yeah. But you're telling me, oh, I didn't know in Space Jam you got to make stuff up. Yeah. Uh, how many different takes did you do? Uh, we messed around with it a lot. And I think that was uh, that was Ivan Reitman's style. Uh, Joe Pitka was not directing us, by the way. Uh, Joe, <laughs> he, 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 he directed the rest of the movie. Um <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but really, uh, Reitman, as far as all, all that I was seeing, Reitman was driving the bus. Right. And, um, and that's kind of his, his MO is to let the actors be funny. Let the comedians be comedians. Let them do their job. And, and, you know, and, and ultimately, yeah, let Bill Murray solve the movie by just coming up with something. Got it. Because it's not in the script. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. And so he, he let us do that. This point of your life, you're in the top three of all people who do this. So if they want a particular sound, uh, they they say, "Get me D Baker." Yeah, it, they they well. In, in, as far as the creature stuff goes, they they trust me. They basically it's just bring in the wizard. He's yep. going to pull something out of that. But you have that reputation now. Yes, you didn't initially. Oh, it no. evolved. Oh no! And I did a deep dive on you. And uh, for those of you who are listening to us in the car or wherever, uh, I always say it's better to watch the show on YouTube because you learn so much more. I found a video on you, and see if you remember this, because I'd like you to sort of uh, redo it for me here, Um, where the voices start sort of at the top of your head and and take it all the way down through your chest. Yeah. And to watch this evolve was fascinating to me, because I had no idea that that existed. So can you do a mini version of that for me? Well, I I mean, you can can do that as 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 in speaking voices and start... I don't think we should go down there like that. The old mech all the way down, down here, to, you know, something like that. You know, all the way down to Beetlejuice. But but you can do that for for um and 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 then you and then you channel where the where you place that through acting, and the same is true for doing creature sounds, where you can start way up high with. And that's just with an inhale. You can, you can, you can go all the way up, and and it's it's a matter of uh, of being aware of just like for an actor, you're aware of what you have available as an instrument. And you channel that through your your connection with what emotion you have and through your imagination. And then you get a specific lock on what it is that is needed and that works, that feels right. And then it just lives there like it's on a shelf. But didn't initially you drive around in your car and listen to different animal sounds? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I when I came to Los Angeles, I I mean, I, I like doing weird sounds, weird characters. But but it, it it struck me. I think it was probably doing like a Scooby Doo with Frank Welker. It's like, oh, they they need monsters. They need dogs. They need creatures and stuff. I I like doing weird stuff with my voice. I'm gonna work on this. Frank Welker. He he was the Mac Daddy actually. Of, was he of, really of doing creatures and monsters and things like that? Prior to uh, you. Yeah, I, I still think he's he's like Coca Cola and I'm RC Cola. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're at least Pepsi, my friend. Come on. <laughs> but he's but 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 that I became aware of that as I started to work, and especially like oh, they need you know <laughs> they need 
monsters. They need something that's going to fight the superhero or that the Powerpuff Girls are going to are, are going to fight or they need <laughs> they need a dog or they need a, a cat or they need a familiar that families always have a familiar pet that serves as the stand in for the audience and for the kids. And and so I just started driving around and, and, and you know, I, I watched nature documentaries, which I still do and listening to animal CDs of animal sounds and then finding the ones that I could lock into that I could uh, utilize with creative expression so that I can, I can give intent and conversation. It's I not never just a sound. how much work goes behind what your career is. Um, you know, the creature sounds, there's no animal that sounds like that. So you had to take various sounds that you had heard and mm -hmm. combine them to become what that became. Yeah. But the control that you have of your throat, of your nose, of your upper register, it's insane. Yeah, it's very weird. It's very <laughs> odd. But it's also, it's also that I can see it. It's that I, I like animals. I've always liked animals. I like biology. And it's like I can see it move. I can see what it's doing. And, and because I'm an actor, I channel this as an acting performance. I'm not, I'm not a sound effects guy. So you're I'm, an actor first. I'm an actor and a show off. <laughs> <laughs> and you're able to act because you have those voices and can control them in a way that as far as i know a handful of people are able to do yeah i can use it expressively in the in in the telling of someone's story in a way that 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 locks right into it that's efficient and that is usually as good or better than what they were hoping to get so can you do when i think of stand-up comedy there are people who do great impressions did you ever go down that road and try to do, you know? There's a few. I mean, like Daffy Duck is an impression mm -hmm. or Beetlejuice. That's an impression mm -hmm. uh, uh, where you inhabit the character and make that character um, like a living thing, uh, you know, like Kevin Pollack can do, where you're just like, oh, that's that's Columbo. I am talking to Columbo mm -hmm. and and he can react uh, in an improvisational in the moment way to what's happening around him. That's that's the gold standard. That's what you want. Have you ever been called in to do a voice and you just couldn't do it? There, there's probably been, been a couple of gigs where I, I thought, you know, I, I, I don't think I was bringing what they need. And I think they're just going to use more sound effects with this. Because sometimes they, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give sort of a backbone performance to the creature and then they'll sweeten that with other sounds and, and other futzing that they do. <laughs> um, and, and that's fine. I mean, to me, it's like I'm... No matter what I'm doing as a voice actor, I'm I'm providing clay, a clay rendering, and, and that is handed off to lots of other people who then modify it and shape it and light it and animate it and select, you know, angles and all these other things. So I look at it as a collaborative thing. So I have no, I have no territorial uh, aspect about what I create um, or what they do with it once I'm done with it. And do you mostly work from your home in a studio and wear headphones and get directions and you do 17 takes or three takes or depending on how, yeah. and, and, and that's it. So you don't get to interact with other performers. Well, in, in the post COVID world, it's, it's really shifted there. The only ensemble show that I'm recording right now is SpongeBob. Mm. And that's if they have an ensemble episode that they're going through that they want me for, then I'll go into Nickelodeon. What voices um, do you do on SpongeBob? Um, I'm Bubble Bass. I'm Kevin. I'm Squilliam, although they don't use him anymore. Uh, I'm Perch Perkins Action News. I'm and and then and then creatures and monsters and 
you know, screaming townspeople who are on fire. There's always mayhem where everyone is screaming bloody murder. It's it's really it, it's a very funny show. It's a very it's a vocally punishing show, but it's really fun because it feels like you're in this direct lineage connection back to like Buster Keaton, where uh, which which is really what informed and was fulfilled by Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck in, in the in the golden age of that is is taking vaudeville as far as you possibly can oh, yeah. playing as extending it as far as you can to to the to the cheap seats to the young and to the old and uh and so it's it's great fun to be a part of that <laughs> i bet it is and so when they bring you in i have no idea do you get paid per hour per character how does that work the way the union contract works is you're paid uh, a session fee for two voices and then a little 10% bump for three voices and then if it's a fourth voice or, or fifth, they have to pay a second session fee. But for the most part, uh, even if you are a top dog earner or a, uh, a beginner, you're probably just going to get a session fee. You're gonna but get- here's what I realized from Robot Chicken. I get residual checks like crazy. Oh, Oh, we bless the union for oh the ever-flowing residual flow that will forever flow. With all these things you do, you just must go to the mailbox on a regular basis and there's a bunch of dough. Yes, <laughs> that is correct. Which is why you live in three places. It's, yes, it's, an, it's just this ever-flowing river that yeah. every, you, you're, you're not like on camera. Right. Or, or like a, where you get like, I'm on a sitcom and I'm making 100K or 500K a, an episode. Right. Or in a movie where I'm making $10 million or whatever. You're making a session fee. Right. But every little session fee is a drop that goes in that ocean <laughs> that just gets wider and deeper and flows. And never in ends. Perpetuity. Yes. Forever. Yeah. And that's 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 the beauty of, of being a union voice actor. Right. Oh that. my god. But it's not it's not about being a rock star. As as I said, I'm a I'm a session player. And and you know, if I if I want to be adored, I can I can go to a convention. And there are and fans. And do you? Yeah. And fans fans love the characters, as, as you know. Yes. You know, it's like, I, I watched this when I was this age. It meant so much to me. Yes. My family and I, we bonded over it. Me and the troops in Afghanistan, we watched this show. Uh, I was going through cancer and I and my dad, I lost my dad, but this was the show. And, and these are heartfelt stories of how what we make connects with people. Yes. Whether it's, you know, a dramatic show or it's a game show. Or it's a cartoon, but to these people, it is much more than that. Yeah. And and you and that's one of the beautiful things about uh, other than just servicing my vanity uh, <laughs> of going to a, a convention is is to appreciate that and to and to see that you, you know you're not making potato chips actually. Uh, you're making more than that. You're making something that that people do connect with, and it means a lot to them. Yeah, I, I had no idea until uh, we went on the last tour of uh, Double Deer. The people who came, they would come backstage and do the meet and greets. And I'd say, where are your kids? And they went, oh, we left them at home. We want to have a, a good time on our own. And they wanted to reminisce. And everybody's yeah. got a story. Yeah. And they want oh, to yeah. tell you about that story oh, about yeah. doing the obstacle course in the living room and your mother, you know, scolded you for a week. And but and you have to listen to every one of them. Yeah. Because you know what? Those are the people that kind of paid our bills. Yeah. And and you can't just go, yeah, well, I got to move on. No, you, you need to spend five, six, seven, yeah. eight minutes. They love it, and and it means a lot to them, and it's um and it's wonderful to see as a performer. I mean, you get into stand up to make people laugh. There's a sense of I think of power and control maybe in that, 
but also one of acceptance and connection. But as a voice actor, there's no audience. And so you don't get to see what the impact is and to see what that connection is. But you, you, can, you can get a taste of that yeah, at a convention. Yeah, down the road, you find out big time. Yeah. So how did the Star Wars thing happen? The Star Wars thing happened because uh, Andrea Romano, who's a voice, brilliant voice casting director, and Dave Filoni, who uh, directs and writes uh, a lot of Star Wars these days, were working on a show that I was doing creatures on called uh, Avatar The Last Airbender at Nickelodeon. And, and so, but I was just doing creature sounds there, right? Uh, and they asked me to audition for this new show, which, you know, they didn't tell you what the show was. Um, and I auditioned for it. I mean, for this straight ahead soldier role. And it's like, I would be the last person that I would bring in or cast to play this kind of a role. Because the way I thought of myself when I came to town is I'm like, you know, like a grade a grade D Jim Carrey, you know, or just kind of a comedy guy, energy guy, funny, young, um, but comedic, not dramatic, not, mm -hmm. a, not a soldier, not, not a band of soldiers, not, and, and, and so I didn't even, I, I, I would not have believed that I would, I was capable of even doing something like that, but they cast me. And so it's like, okay, I'm, I'm game. I'll, I'll, I'll give this a shot. And they weren't even really sure with the Clone Wars if that was going to work with, with a room full of clones. Do they all seem and sound different? Or does this just feel just kind of flat and does, does it not work? But it worked. And um, the, we just kind of kept going and it's still going on into Bad Batch now where it's this, it, it's this, it's this thing that, that came my way that I was able to step up to. Because sometimes, I mean, you find the thing that works in Hollywood and then nobody wants to hire you for anything yeah. but the thing that works. Right. Because that's how they think of you and that's how the money people see it. And anything else is like, I don't get it. So usually you have to really, you know, like a, like a Michael Keaton or, mm -hmm. or a Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. they, they've got to very smartly uh, angle themselves onto this road and then over to this one to show that they can... Be versatile. It can indeed do these things and to convince the money people to say yes to it. <laughs> uh, but fortunately in voice acting, where the career comes with the, the caveat of versatility, because essentially if you, can, if you can do the three voices, they can get three characters for the price of one, essentially. Mm. So it selects for that kind of versatility. And so it, it just... I, I found a lot more versatility than I thought I had in me. <laughs> what kind of direction do you get when you're doing? Because if you're doing SpongeBob and you've been doing it for a number of years now, mm -hmm. do they give you direction? Sure. They do. Oh, absolutely. Tom Kenny is our voice director on that show. He's kind of taken he's the helm fantastic. of that ship. Yeah. And he's fantastic. And he's got a very specific um, uh, sensibility mm -hmm. for what he's going for. So sometimes he'll show me what he's thinking of. And then I'll also throw in my own ideas and then whatever tickles him, once they've got it, then we move on. Um, and some shows, uh, some shows, they, the decision maker may not be in the room. And that may require a bit more um, variety of, so of offerings for the buffet. Three or four or five takes of the same thing. Yeah, they, they had to have a full buffet to give once they, once they bring it to the decision maker. Got it, I got it. <laughs> and then some shows, it's like, I, I've got a really strong idea of what this what works and and you guys like it and and we just do it and it's very quick and very very efficient what's the most difficult voice you do right now mm -hmm. well 
Well, I mean, like the voice of Wrecker in um in the Bad Batch. Well, he's a voice like that. It's it's a it's a it's a throat ripper. That mm-hmm. that's a rough voice for me. Um, if you do that for a couple hours, can it make it difficult to do something the next day? Yeah, it can. But thankfully, with the uh, the opera singing training that I've had, um, I I can bring my voice back. I can kind of reset the muscles so that um, they're relaxed and separated. My head voice and my chest voice, uh, so that I can. It, it's it's rare that that something wipes me out so completely. Although sometimes SpongeBob, bless its heart, it'll sometimes get there where it's just because of the rain screaming. You're, you're they're screaming. There's really? there's mayhem. There's 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 the villagers are are screaming because they're they're everyone's on fire and the and the house is falling on them. So what would that sound like? What the it, screaming? Yeah, it it's just it's just it's, just, it's terrible. It's just <laughs> it's. It's just... And does it go on for... It, it can. Yeah. It can go on. So of all the things, really of all the things I do probably, SpongeBob will leave me the most uh, battered uh, at the at the end of a Wednesday afternoon, typically. But by the next day, um, usually if there's punishment, it's a localized punishment. And whatever, I'm, whatever my next gig is probably going to be at a different uh, zone in my, in my, in my instrument. And so I, I've never not been able to jump up and, and compensate and, and do something else. Because a, a lot of what you learn uh, as you get good at what you do is not just what to do, but what not to do. Mm. So that you, you perform in a way that is, is relaxed but powerful. That it's not using all of this kind of wasted energy uh, that exhausts yourself with unnecessary effort. I'm going through this list. I mean, <laughs> Angry Beavers, Fairly Odd Parents, <laughs> uh, What's New Scooby Doo, Spider Man, Star Wars, Family Guy, which is about my favorite show ever, Looney Tunes, uh, Muppet Babies, Robot Chicken, Space Jam, SpongeBob, uh, and it goes on and on and American on. American Dad, American Phineas Dad, Phineas and Ferb. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> when you do Family Guy, tell me what that experience is like. Well, usually on Family Guy, they just bring me in to do the weird stuff, such so- as. Uh, well, they want, uh, you know, like a bird that's, that's throwing up, you know, or they, I mean, literally it's just that kind of, of weird ass stuff. And, and it's like, yeah, I can do, I can do, let's, let's, let's go, let's do that. So what would a bird throwing up sound like? Well, it, well, it'll depend on the script, you know, the timing of it is everything. Right. But it, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, It's, it's. the show that they get away with stuff on there, like I, stuff online that well, they do is crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of what's really great about animation is is you can not only extend the idea, but you can also extend the audacity. Yes. You, there's lines that you can step over in animation that you cannot step over with on camera. For instance, after 9-11, uh, nobody would touch the president after that. Really? George W. Bush. Nobody. Uh, except for... Uh, the South Park guys who made the sitcom that's my, that's my Bush, yeah, which is funny, yes, but it worked because it wasn't mean. And we did an episode on American Dad, which was when Bush comes to dinner, and I did George Bush on George W. Bush on that, and uh, but and it wasn't mean, but it was making fun of the president. It was lighthearted. He he was because he was on the wagon. The gag was that he accidentally drank some alcohol. <laughs> And then he got really shit-faced drunk. <laughs> and it was a very funny idea, but it wasn't mean. Um, but it, it was interesting to me that something so broad 
really the stuff that that South Park guys do is is comedically almost cartoonishly broad. Yeah, but that it's our, on the edge. But that our show American Dad could be in there and say, look, we can still we can still be ourselves. We can still laugh, and we can still make fun of authority. Uh, even even in this dark time, there's a classic piece online which I'm sure you've seen of Daffy Duck going uh, a bitty bitty bitty, and then he goes uh, son of a son, of, and he said you thought I was going to say son of a bitch, and he actually says it, and that's from <laughs> I don't know maybe the 40s or something. Oh, that sounds yeah that that could that could well be <laughs> yeah yeah. So you know every now and then I guess those things do uh, do slip through. But. It's very I mean it's very smart and very edgy and very audacious, and that's 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 a lot of of, of the artistic. And intellectual, even fun of, of even something like SpongeBob. There's there's stuff that's going down in SpongeBob. Uh, there's and there's other shows that I've done. Uh, a Cow and Chicken, for instance. There's stuff on on Cow and Chicken that's like that that episode aired one time, and and then no, they didn't realize what that episode is actually demonstrating, and they got a, a, some letters, and then it's like, okay, we're not showing that episode really? ever again. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember what that was about? Yeah, that was called the Buffalo Gals. And what was the negative aspect? Well, it, I'm, I'm not sure if it was negative, but it was essentially there was a gang of heavyset biker women <laughs> who would come to your house and literally chew the carpet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I they got would it. Munch the rug in your house. <laughs> they would come to your house on their bikes. <laughs> well, now I and understand. That, that aired once, and yeah. that was it. That was it. <laughs> oh man, would I love to see a copy of that? Yeah, it was. It was. It was such a such a great show. But there was one character I did uh, called Jolly Ra- Jolly Roger. It was just this big tag, like that. Just a big, stupid, ridiculous character, and he had these really, really high, hiked up short shorts, super short and, 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 and waving on a flag singing about how I'll be a flag for you. And the, the network just said, don't ever use this character again. Why? Never use this character. Cause they found it. I don't know why they found it offensive. I don't know why. Wow. He was a joyous, uh, not very rather scantily clothed, uh, joyous character is, is all I know, but they didn't want it. And so the creator, David Fees, pr- proceeded to write that character into every show, but give him a different name. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, my God. But uh, but but there's a lot of, uh, you know, deviant, smart, creative, fun uh, creativity that you can that you can pack into a cartoon, even a kid's cartoon. Well, certainly the Warner Brothers stuff had a lot of adult. Oh, yeah. My God. Oh, yeah. You absolutely. Know. They yeah. weren't tr- even trying to hide it, I don't think, you know. Yeah. Bugs was this smart ass, but he said things. Well, Popeye used to say stuff under his breath. Oh, yeah. That, you know, if you listen to it, you'd go, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. That was pretty Yeah, especially bizarre. pre-code Popeye, the, the, before they started the, the, the morality rules yes. and, and all that in earlier Hollywood. There's, there's a, there was a, a, a lot more. Uh, they went a lot further with that. They did. <laughs> and, and when they do Family Guy, I mean, Seth is brilliant. Yes, he is. Um, and I've seen him. On shows where he does all the characters sort of back to back to back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess if you have the talent that you guys do, that's an easy thing, but it doesn't seem that easy. Yeah, it's it's like, I mean, one way to think of it is like a, uh, like a piano player where mm-hmm. they've just got a piano, but oh, they're playing Mozart. Now they're playing Cole Porter. Now they're playing Barry Manilow. Now they're playing a commercial ditty. Now they're improvising a musical song. So they're so versatile. That they can flow from one to another yeah. and not even think about it. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, so you didn't want to do this as a kid. 
So Mel Blanc. I liked acting as a kid. Right. I did, I did acting since second grade, but I thought actors are are poor, that they live in a terrible apartment and they don't have food. They have to eat cat food. And that's not a career. <laughs> Plus, you, you know, the others that around me is like this, this, this guy's doing, you know, Petruchio and this is an actor. I'm. I'm just this guy who likes to perform, but I, I, I'm not going to weep on stage. I'm not going to pull out my soul. I did, they, they cast me in Equus at my high school. We had a very good drama teacher and I was in Equus and every night I had to go insane as the main character who does nothing but talk and talk and talk, all this memorization. And I think after that, I just realized I don't think I'm an actor at all. I don't want to memorize lines and I don't want to go insane every night. <laughs> <laughs> and this is really hard work. Yeah. And I don't even think I'm doing that great of a job at it. And so, <laughs> so, you know, flash forward to voice acting where it's just, it's just great variety. It's super quick. There's no memorizing whatsoever. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's fun, but I'm still making shows. I'm still making stories. I'm know? doing a one man show right now. And oh. uh, to memorize 70 pages oh, wow. uh, is, is brutal. Yeah. You know, people say, you know, why is it that hard? It's about your life, but uh, it's it's difficult. That's and, work. Yeah, that that's that's hard work. That's a lot of work. So the classic, uh, the June Frays, uh, uh, the Dawes Butlers. Did you ever get a chance to meet and work with those folks? No, I I didn't. Sadly, um, I I did. I I met Don Messick. Oh yeah, who's the guy that originated uh, Scooby Doo yeah. and, and a lot of Hanna Barbera characters. And I took a brief class with him, where I, as I remember, his advice was, "You have to go study acting." <laughs> Which really? is like I never did. And I, it, it, yeah. He said that specifically to you? Well, he said it, it, it was like a, a, what's it called? The learning. The learning tree? The learning tree. Yes. Yeah, it's like a learning tree class. Yes. You pay 50 bucks yeah. and, and you have some expert come in and lecture everybody. Um, and so his advice actually wasn't very good because it's like, if I had studied acting, I never would have become an actor. I don't Interesting. think. I wouldn't have become a voice actor. I thank God I didn't study acting. That's amazing. <laughs> I just, but I just always did it. I did performing and I, I, you know, when you're around people and you work with people who are better than you, then, then you start to get not just confident, you get ideas for how it can work. And then if you have it within you, then you, you, you can, you, you find your version of it that you realize that I'm not, these other people who are really good are intimidating. Mm -hmm. They're intimidatingly good, but I can do something that's good too, but it's not that. I don't have to do that. That's the relief. I'm just doing my version of this. That's all I've got to do. But you're now on the Mount Rushmore of, of people who do this. <laughs> so do you have people contact you on a regular basis who want to get into this line of work? And if you do, what do you say to them? Well, what I, what I say to them is I, I direct them to my website. I want to be a voiceactor.com, <laughs> which is uh, just page after page of everything that I've learned about voice acting. And about being an actor and about uh, being a, a, a professional creative and an entrepreneur. Um, I just put it all on the website for free. And it's just all there. So I don't have to talk for three hours. What's the most often asked question? Uh, it's probably going to be... Uh, well, it's usually, it, it, it's usually just uh, who can I study with? Mm-hmm. Um, which for me is like, there are, there are a number of really good voice actors, uh, who are also teachers that I can, I can mention, but I mean, for me, I didn't learn the substance of what I do and what I know from classes 
or from a, from a, from a classroom. You were just doing it. I was just doing it, and yeah. I took some classes, and I got some benefit from that. But mostly, it's like I just think you need to go and be on a stage. I want you to get in front of an audience. I want you to be in a situation where the stakes are real, uh, and not just supportive. And you're you're in a paid supportive situation. Yeah, I, I say it all the time. Uh, if you want to host, you got to go host. Right. You can't do it in your mind. You can't right. do it in your bedroom. If that's what you want to do, you got to put yourself in front of an audience. And I used to do, you know, weddings, bar mitzvahs, dog shows, wakes, whatever I could in Indianapolis. Yep. Because I needed the, the time on stage to feel comfortable. Yeah. And it took a long freaking time to do that. And then when I became a regular at the comedy store in 1976, I realized how untalented I was <laughs> because there was Leno and Letterman and, you know, folks like that who either had natural ability or had done a lot more than me. Right. And I had watched people on TV and thought I could do it. And then I realized, oops, I can't. And so, um, you know, I was able to pay my dues. I think it was easier to be bad back when we started than it is now. I think mm -hmm. because of the web and TikTok and all that stuff, you better be good right away or otherwise people are flipping to the next thing. Uh, where I think we had more time to learn our craft. Uh, yeah, I don't know if and it's really important not. to do it in a way that you don't, where, where where you try it for a while and you realize this isn't me or I'm not this good. I'm I'm just not good enough. I'm not that good at it. And it, I I did that a lot. I in I mean stand up was that for me. It's like I can I can make this kind of work for a while, but ultimately I don't think I'm brilliant at this. And plus I don't think I want this lifestyle. Mm. I mean it's like back when I was doing it, it's like well everyone wants to be Tim Allen. Yeah. Because you do this, you become a headliner, then you get a show around you, and then, you know, then, and it's like, I don't, I really don't think I am that, and I don't think I really want to do that. I don't want to drive around and li live out of a trunk, um, <laughs> and I don't want to be trapped by this, um, this by character, this, this, this shtick, persona. this yeah. thing that I'm doing. You know, like Steve Martin, who just, he's just like, at some point, it's like, I'm not even doing what I like to do. I'm just hosting a big party. I don't want to do this. And he just stops. He just stops. And, he, he, and, and that's, that's an important. one of the few who's been able to pull that off. Yeah. Well, to have, to have the guts to be yourself. Yeah. To, to be able to say no and then to change course. And that's a really important realization for a creative person, I think. Well, he's intellectually brilliant. Yeah. Um, and has enough money in the bank where he can say no. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't be the wild and crazy guy his entire career. And now he's doing the cable show uh, with Martin Short and that seems to be doing well. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, I, I really love, I, I, it's part of why I like listening through memoirs is I, I want to pay attention to how, how those that endure have navigated their, their careers over decades. You're unique on the show in that, um, most people that have been on our program have had a focus from the time they came out of a womb. Yeah. But there's, I, and, and I always related to that. And this was back in college when I, when, when I saw the Woody Allen movie Zalig and that song they kept singing in that chameleon man. Yes. And, and I've always felt like it's like there's something about me that's, that re really relates to that. And that I've, it's a capacity, I think, of, of my character, but also something that I've channeled into my career is, is to just, is like an octopus where you, you, you hit the surface and then you change to it. And then you, then you, you can, uh, use it to your advantage or, or to modify it in a way that, that, that works for that particular environment. But it can be any environment. We talk about overcoming obstacles a lot on this program. What obstacles did you have to overcome to become who you, who you are? Um, I, was, I had a very lucky uh, setup with parents that loved me. Uh, I, 
I emerged from college unencumbered by debt because of a scholarship that I got. And, um, and so I was very lucky with that launch. My parents were supportive. I, I think they wanted me to be a lawyer. They thought that seemed like a good idea, which I, I wouldn't have been happy. I would have been a good lawyer, but I don't think I would have been happy. Uh, and they were, so there was no pressure on me to have to decide what I had to do. And so my, my, my realization of who I am and what I like to do and what I'm good at, I had a, a number of years there in my 20s into my later 20s for that question to decant into uh, uh, the larval version of what I have now. <laughs> uh, so it, it's mostly really a happy story, I think. Sounds like it. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, in terms of right now, um, a lot of it is, is it's, I, I, I think it's, it served me best to maintain an improvisational stance towards life, towards what's coming towards me professionally or personally. And that whatever comes at you, whether it's good or bad, is to kind of take it as it's there. I think that's the way I've mostly played it and it's, and it's, and it's benefited me well. Now, uh, for, for me right now, the challenge might be it's um it it's as as i as i as i start moving into the empty nest and to the final third of my existence best case um i've been i've been to the hospital three times over the past decade where it's like the the reapers in the room and and it's it's what's made, going on uh it's heart related stuff i've got heart disease and I had a, a pericarditis a few years back. What is that? It's an inflammation around the heart. Mm. Uh, and that was happening during COVID and then the COVID shots. The COVID shot that I got may have had something to do with it. And then I was back again a few months after that with, uh, with AFib. So my heart was banging away at 160 for 24 hours. And each of those times, um, and, and, and about 10 years back, I was experiencing some angina um, in my chest and had, you know, surgery, go in there and see what's the problem. Do we need to do a stent? Do we need to, you know, whatever, but it's that. And then, and, and my mom died about 13 years back. And it's that, it's that awareness of the, of the precipice of mortality that, um, that <laughs> is increasingly, <laughs> uh, uh, an aspect of the scenery that on the stage that I, that I, tre that I tread. And so it's, um, I think my angle has always been I, I want to have um, an optimism and an energy to to move me forward. And so I'm, I'm in a, at a recalibrating moment, I think, to to reset that where the, the career is is it, it's it's kind of baked. And the, the kids are off to school. And so it's the empty nest. And so there's this existential sense of freedom now where there every day there's fewer and fewer days ahead of me, which I, the way I choose to look at it is that, that that makes every day more precious. It's not, it's not a sense of rising panic. It's one of, of, of growing opportunity. As but, but here's the thing in your line of work, you can't be aged out because they don't see you. And as long as you can keep the, the tone of the voices where they need them to be, you could do this till you're 100, for God's sakes, assuming yeah. that you would want to do that. Yeah, I, th I think I might, I, I think I very well might continue with it. It's fun. It gives me connection and, and collaborative uh, uh, society that I can connect with. There's no downside 
to doing. No, voice not, not at all. But here's the thing, and this is what I say to people who come to me often. Um, you're responsible for your own happiness, okay? Yeah. Um, I'm 72. I've tried to retire 17 times uh, <laughs> because when the phone stopped ringing, uh, in our industry, we have no control of our own lives. Other people make those decisions for us. And so um, the fact that I'm doing a one-man show at age 72 and running around the country, uh, and I'm probably the happiest when I'm performing, mm. and I love what I'm doing, so there's no need to stop. And Peter Marshall, if you remember him from Hollywood's yes. Worst Days, has been a friend of mine for maybe 40 years, and he always said to me, Mark, don't retire. All my friends who retired died. Pete's 96, and he's been having some health issues, but he's, his mind is exactly as it always was. He remembers everything. Wow. And it's amazing to watch him. And so I'm just trying to stay active. And um, uh, I'm doing what I want to be doing, mm -hmm. lucky enough to do that. Um, I'm in a situation where I don't have to work, but I want to work. Mm -hmm. And I think you're in a similar situation where you're juggling a lot of balls and you could stop tomorrow, but, and do what? Yeah, very much so. And, 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 and along those lines, I mean, I've very, very purposefully dedicated myself to not only kind of uploading my brain with my websites, but also to keep uh, the creative fires burning in a way that's not connected to money, but that's connected to my enthusiasm. Yeah, it's so easier, got... by the way, to do that. Yeah. When you have the wolf at the door and you have to pay the rent and there's no money there, yeah. the way you react is totally different. We've both been there. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been I've been very very lucky, and I still am very very lucky. Um, Harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah, but it's ultimately yours to play. It's yeah. you you've, you every day you're held you're you've dealt the hand, and how are you going to play it? And so I'm 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 going to keep doing voice acting because it's fun and I like it and it's satisfying. And the phone's ringing. Yeah, the phone's ringing, and then I'm going to keep making my Halloween yards because I love Halloween. <laughs> I'm going to keep learning bass even though I'm no good at it. Um, I'm going to keep keep taking. Uh, macro photography of insects because I really find that interesting. Very cool. I'm going to keep reading constantly and adding to my website and hopefully, you know, helping others with some guidance. Um, what kind of camera are you using when you're doing the... My iPhone. You used to... Really? I get that baby right up in there and yeah, it, it's it's amazing what oh you my. can get. And and it just... I, I, I realized that and this was right after I almost had a heart attack is uh, it's like, God, I, I, I've got this... You know, I, I buy this beautiful camera. Here's a here's a macro camera. Here, I mean, these heavy things. While I'm lugging around with me, while I'm trying to walk my pugs, and and it's like <laughs> this doesn't work. But my iPhone is always there. It's right there. <laughs> and if I see that bee or that grasshopper or whatever, I can get right in there. I can utilize the light if it's just right, and I can crop that and get a beautiful picture cool. of this amazing little monster creature that's right in my in my backyard. What are your doggies' names? Uh, the ones that's left, her name is Zira. Zira. Zira from Planet of the Apes. Oh, nice, nice. Um, she's a, she's a French bulldog. This has been great catching up. Uh, yeah, congratulations on all your success. Thank you. Um, say goodbye in a couple of different voices and say, uh, thanks for being on, uh, Mark Summers Unwraps. Thank you for being on Mark Summers Unwraps. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. Really? <laughs> really, really nice. Bye-bye. See ya. So long. <laughs> uh, D. Bradley Baker, you're the best. Uh, Mark Summers, seeing you next week on uh, Unwrapping More People. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Mark Summers Unwraps is a production of Believe Limited, created by me, Mark Summers, and Jessica Richmond. Produced by Keith Corneluk and Jessica Richmond. 
Executive produced by Patrick James Lynch and Ryan Geelan. Post-production support from Joshua Sterling Bragg and Believe Limited. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you really love it, why don't you leave us a rating and a review? Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Mark Summers Unwraps.